0: 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 9, please. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Lord, bless your word today. Thank you for... Just the blessings of life and thank you for the salvation, God, through Jesus Christ. Please have your way in this service. May thy will be done. Cleanse me and wash me in your blood. Open our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our understanding that we might grow closer to you. Lord, if someone's not a Christian today, I pray that today they would trust you. These things we ask in Jesus' name, and amen. I'm going to entitle this message, The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. And to exchange something, as you well know, means to trade or to swap one thing for another. Our text tells us here that Jesus Christ exchanged His riches and His glory for poverty so that we might be made rich. You know, there's a lot of folks today that tell people, and uh, if they'll do this or that, that'll give them riches or make them prosperous. And oftentimes in the religious world, these charlatans will promise people restored health or uh, healing if they send them money. But God doesn't promise us riches in this life. And unfortunately for some of us, God doesn't promise us health in this life. But the Apostle Paul, he, if these people would read their Bible, they'd know that, wouldn't it? Second uh, Corinthians, if you'll just look over a couple chapters in verse, or chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians and verse 24, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul said concerning these things. Chapter 11 and verse 24. He said, Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeyings, often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, which, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." I think it'd be safe to say that the Apostle Paul was not living his best life now. He went through a lot of stuff, didn't he? Had a lot of trouble. He even said that there were times he didn't have enough clothes to wear. Or enough food to eat. And he didn't know anything about this modern day name it and claim it gospel that some of these fellas and ladies are... Promoting. He didn't know anything about this health and wealth stuff. But he didn't know about eternal riches. He described himself as having nothing and yet possessing all things. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. And he understood, and I hope you understood I hope you understand this morning that this life is just a vapor. It's here for a short while and then it's gone. And he he knew, the Apostle Paul knew, and I'm here to remind you that our affections need to be set on things above, not on things of the earth. Because one of these days, we're going to lay down this mortal, this corrupt body, and we're going to put on immortality and incorruption. There's, back to our text in chapter 8 and verse 9, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I'm, I'm, if you're a Christian today, I'm looking at some very wealthy people. You say, preacher, I, I don't even have anything hardly to eat at the house. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about we've got a bright future. I want to present three things concerning what the reformer Martin Luther said, what he called the great exchange. The great exchange. I want to share three things. Number one, his grace. His grace. Verse 9 says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by grace, isn't it? I want to remind you today that good works cannot save. Good works cannot save keeping the commandments. If you've been in our Sunday school class, we've been going through Romans chapter 3. And we, know, we have learned that keeping the commandments cannot save. And one of the reasons that keeping the commandments cannot save is you're not able to keep them. Doing good cannot save or doing right. As a matter of fact, doing good or doing right cannot keep you saved. Being a good neighbor. Sometimes you'll talk to people about their soul and they'll say, well, I'll try to be a good neighbor. Well, that's great. I like good neighbors. I'd, li- I'd rather have good neighbors than bad neighbors. But being a good neighbor won't save you. Joining the do-gooder club won't save you. You can You can say, well, I'm going to join this club or the... Lions Club or the whatever club or the lodge or whatever you want to call it. You can join the royal order of the buffaloes, but it won't save you. And there's nothing wrong with doing good. But that's not how you get saved, is it? We are saved by his grace and we are kept by his grace. We are saved by his grace. And you ought to say amen to that because if you were trying to keep it yourself, you're not going to make it. We're saved by his grace and we're kept by his grace. And I want to tell you today, grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved. If you'll notice when we sung that hymn, the song right below it was Amazing Grace. Did you notice that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It is amazing grace, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. By grace ye are saved. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm glad. I'm glad that grace did much more abound. So the first thing I want us to think about is His grace. Verse 9 says, For ye know the grace. Have you experienced His grace this morning? Secondly, I want us to look at His plan. His plan... Uh, look at First Peter hold your place there in Second Corinthians stick your finger in there or if you got one of those little ribbons in your Bible put that ribbon down through there but uh, look at 1 Peter my Bible's falling apart Tim bought me a new Bible and I just haven't had the heart to break it in yet <laughs> you know how it is don't you it's just hard to get used to a new Bible. But I'm going to have to, Tim. This one's just about had it. Of course, you've read that. I think it was a billboard. I think Spurgeon may have said it originally. A person whose Bible's falling apart is somebody whose life is probably not. <laughs> I'd rather have my Bible falling apart than my life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, "For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that." raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. The Bible tells me that God did some things before the foundation of the world. God did some things before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, God planned to send his son to redeem a world of lost sinners. That was the plan. God had a plan. By the way, I don't. Uh, some folks kind of believe that God had a plan B. I don't believe that. I believe God had one plan and He's fulfilling it right now. Christ's sacrifice for the sins of the world was not an afterthought. It was not something God decided to do when things spun out of control. It was planned before the foundation of the world. Amen. Amen. Before God ever created the world, in the mind of and in the plan of God, Christ had been sacrificed and the names of the redeemed were known to him before the foundation of the world. God has a plan. God is in control. I'll take comfort in that. God is in control. I've got a little note by my where I study. I haven't, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I wrote this down because the Lord, I think, uh, prompted me to write it down. But when they lowered Joseph into that pit that day, that was God's plan. Can I tell you something? Whatever's happening to you today is God's plan. The word of God says he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And I read to you this morning in Sunday school, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Man did all the wickedness. Man nailed the Son of God to a cross. Man drove the nails into his feet. Man spit on his face. Man beat him beyond recognition. Man shoved a crown of thorns down onto his brow. Man laughed and jeered and mocked him, the Son of God. The Bible says, and like a lamb, he opened not his mouth. And the apostle Peter said, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But I want to tell you something today. It was all part of the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Amen. When they crucified our Lord, it did not... If you were looking at that, folks, if when the, the day that they crucified Jesus Christ, if you were looking at that, you would not say God had a plan. But I'm here to tell you today He had a plan. A few days later, when they found the the stone rolled away, you'd probably said, okay, he had a plan. (laughs) Hey! (sighs) He's got a plan right now, folks. (laughs) You just may as well accept that. It'll help you to know that. That he has a plan. He's got a plan for you, he's got a plan for me. He has a plan. You know, when a few days later when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and thought he was the gardener. You remember that? She thought he was the gardener. And he spoke to her and said, Mary. And when he said her name, I want to remind you, his sheep hear his voice. When he said her name, she said, Rabboni. And that means great master. She didn't think he was a gardener then. She realized it was the son of God. Is he your master today? Is he your master today? Uh, he has a plan. He always has a plan. He always has a plan. Uh, there's people sitting in this room Uh, going through some tough things right now and I understand I ain't had the best couple weeks of my life either lately (laughs) Uh, but uh, he's got a reason doesn't he he's got a plan he always has a plan he always has the hymn writer said uh, his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me I know he's watching me. If you've been called according to his purpose, then all things are working together for your good. So we see his grace. We see his grace. And we also see his plan. And then thirdly, we see his purpose. We see his purpose. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he come from the glories of heaven to be born basically in a shed and laid in a feeding trough? That's what he did, wasn't it? There was no room in the end, People don't have room for Christ today either, do they? But he came to this earth, and uh, the Bible says he was laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. I don't know what swaddling clothes is, I just like to say swaddling. (laughs) Might have been a camel blanket for all I know. (laughs) But he was laid in a manger. That's no way to treat royalty, is it? For our he, he became poor, didn't he? That we might be made, what? Rich. He became poor that we might be made rich. What was his purpose? We looked at his grace. We looked at his plan. Now I want us to think about his purpose. The Apostle Paul said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, that ought to help you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Then Paul said, of whom I am chief. One of the old preachers said, if he can save the chief, he can save you. Right? (laughs) I'm glad he came into the world to save sinners. But I have to tell you something. You can't get saved until you know you're a sinner. They that are whole have... No need of a physician. You got to realize your plight, don't you? You got to understand. You need a savior. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen eleven, "For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost." Let me read that again because it's not in some of y'all's Bibles. Probably, you got to get your Bible. It's in there, by the way. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That's Matthew eighteen eleven. Our text tells us, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. I wonder why did the Son of God become poor and live a short life of poverty? What makes these uh, TV preachers think they ought to live in luxury when our their master didn't have a place to lay his head? You guys keep sending them $10, though, all right? So they can buy them some more Italian shoes. One old preacher, I could tell you his name. I won't, but he... He said, he kind of mean, he said a lady called him and said, my husband's passed away, could you, uh, could you do his funeral? And he said, well, where do y'all go to church at? And she said, well, we, we just basically, we go to church on the TV. And she mentioned this evangelist's name on the TV. He said, well, call him up and have him do the service. There's something to be said about that, folks. If you're able to come to church, you ought to be in church. For one thing, we need each other. We're a family. We need each other. And when bad things happen, and bad things do happen, you need your church family, don't you? And you won't find find them on the television. Why did he allow himself? When you think about the crucifixion of Christ, it's beyond our comprehension, isn't it? When you think about that he allowed... I I can't even stand the thought of somebody spitting on me. When you think that he allowed those soldiers to spit on him, when you think that he allowed them to shove that crown of thorns down on his brow when you think he submitted to being whipped with a cat of nine tails till his back was open and you could see the bones when you think of the way he was treated you have to ask yourself why what was his purpose what was his purpose when, when they nailed, when they stretched his hands out and drove the nails into his hands and his feet, and they lifted that cross up into the air, and they dropped it down into that hole that had already been dug, and it, and it fell with a thud, and everything in him moved. As the blood streamed down his body on that old rugged cross, you have to say, what was his purpose? What was his purpose? For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, (laughs) though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. One of these days, folks, we're going to bow down before him and just thank him. We try now. We do it now the best we can, but one of these days, we're going to do it face to face. We're going to thank him for what he has done. Look over at Titus. Titus chapter 2. The Bible gives us some glimpses. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. We've talked about the grace. We've talked about the plan. Now we're talking about the purpose. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God. That bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purifying himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I want to tell you today, he gave himself for us. His purpose is that he might redeem a a people to himself. He came and gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now you know when you talk about peculiar, you think about somebody that's a little odd. When somebody says, Well, I think that I think that guy's peculiar, that's usually not a compliment, is it? Well, when the Bible uses the word peculiar here, it means it belong it's something that belongs to him exclusively. Now we've got several wives here today, but I've only got one. She's peculiar. And she is peculiar too. (laughs) She's peculiar to me. She's my wife. These people are his people. They've been redeemed by him. And the Bible says. They're to be zealous of good works. They're to be zealous of good works. His purpose was to redeem a people, wasn't it? He made himself poor that we might be made eternally rich. He came to redeem us all from iniquity. He came to redeem us from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. He came to purify into himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. And I want to remind you today, as the Apostle James said, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. He came He came to save sinners. That's me. (laughs) He came to save sinners. I'm glad about that, aren't you? In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, His purpose was to redeem us. He loved us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. He loved sinners, didn't he? He loved sinners when sinners didn't love him. He loved sinners when when sinners were cursing him. He loved sinners when sinners were shaking their fist at him. I want to ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? Is he the author? Is he the beginner? Is he the author and the finisher of your faith? Has he saved you? Let me ask you this. How will you die? Rich or poor? Now, I ain't talking about your financial state, but I'm talking about are you going to have eternal riches? Are you going to have eternal riches? James chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? I'm an heir to the kingdom. I'm a joint heir, the Bible says, with Jesus Christ. I may not have a whole lot in this world, but I have everything, actually. Look over at 1st. Peter chapter one. I don't usually have you turn this much but it's the way it is this morning amen. First Peter chapter one and verse three, if you're a Christian he's promised you the kingdom. Promised you the kingdom. First Peter chapter one verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. There's a lot there in, in that verse, but I'm, I can't unpack it this morning. But I just want to tell you today. Uh, we've got a living hope. We've got a... Uh, he lives. We serve a risen Savior, don't we? He lives. Verse 4. To an inheritance. Incorruptible. Incorruptible. That that means it, it's not corrupted by anything. How many of you have... Uh, Your parents maybe left you something, or or uh, maybe a relative, and you and you had it in a closet, and you got it out of the closet, and it it had rusted, or the moss had eaten it, or the mice had ruined it. I've had that happen. I don't know if any of y'all ever had that happen, but I've had some things that I really wanted to keep, keep, and take care of that was left to me, and then when I got it out, I looked at it it, and it and it had corrupted. But I'm going to heaven where nothing's corrupted. Nothing's corrupted. Everything's corrupted here. I don't care if you build a mansion, within fifty years you'll you'll be having to do maintenance. Have you ever noticed twenty-year shingles aren't really twenty-year shingles? <laughs> everything, everything. Everything takes maintenance, doesn't it? Because it's always Corrupting, It's always being defiled. But I'm going to a place, I'm, I'm going to a place, the Bible tells me here, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. One of these days, folks, who knows when? None of us know when. But one of these days, you're going to step across that threshold and you're going to leave this world and go into another world. get there, you'll wonder what in the world you ever liked about this place. (laughs) We're going to a place incorruptible. And that fadeth not away, verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. Have you ever went somewhere and they said, do you have a reservation? Well, I've got a place. I've got a reservation. If you're a Christian today, you have a reservation. It's reserved in heaven for you. You, you know the old jokes. They always, when they tell a joke, it's always St. Peter, right? He's at the gate. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but it, it makes for good stories, I guess. But uh, there's a couple jokes about that. I'll give you one up. They, they, I, I used to tell this joke. We had a lawyer going here then, but I used to tell this joke. <laughs> a lawyer showed up at the gate, and, and St. Peter said, uh, hold on just a minute, and he was gone for about three or four minutes, and he'd come back, and uh, he said, uh, I'm sorry. He told that lawyer, he said, just give me a few more minutes, and he walked away for a little bit, and he come back after a few minutes, and the lawyer said, is there some kind of problem? And Peter St. Peter said, well, we've just never had one of you guys actually show up here before. <laughs> There's your lawyer joke. <laughs> now, there are some good lawyers. I, we had a young lady here it was an attorney, and she was a great lady. But one of these days, we're going to step across that threshold, aren't we? If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Verse 5 says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you're really downcast. That ain't what it says here. <laughs> it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. In other words, even though right now you're having a bad time, you can rejoice in the fact that you've got a re- reservation in heaven. We can greatly rejoice. That the trial of your faith, verse 7, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to tell you today, we've got an inheritance. And no matter what you're going through now, it's, it's, it's going to be all right in the long run. It's going to be all right. I want to ask you today, have you been born again? Do you love him? Think about what he's done for you. Think about, think about his grace. Think about how he became poor that we might be made rich. Think about how he suffered and died for you. You know, living the Christian life... If you think about that, if you think about who he is and what he's done for us, living a Christian life is the, is the very least we can do. Do you have a reservation? You remember what Jesus said? He said, "For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world?" And lose his own soul. And then he asked this question. Or well, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I've been talking about the great exchange. What do you, if you're not a Christian, what are you going to give? The value of a never dying soul. It's priceless, isn't it? The only thing that can purchase a soul is the blood of Jesus Christ. Our text again said, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet He, he laid His glory by, didn't He? Took on the, the form of a man. Took on the form of a helpless little baby. Lived a sinless life. And died on the cross for our sins. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. He came that we might be made rich. Well, that ought to make you want to shout, amen. (laughs) That ought to make you want to shout. The hymn writer said it this way, O happy day that fixed my choice on thee my Savior and my God. Well may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. And then he said this, Tis done, the great transactions done. I am the Lord's and he is mine. He drew me and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. O happy day. Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Is that your testimony? (laughs) Oh, happy day. Happy day. I'm glad, aren't you? I'm glad. The devil's mad and I'm glad. How's that? He's my Savior. I hope he's your Savior. Hey, you can lay your head down tonight. That's better than than a certaposterpedic. Amen. <laughs> That's better than a my pillow, isn't that what that guy's always advertising these days? <laughs> you can lay your head down on knowing the fact that you've got a reservation in heaven. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I've got some loved ones over there I'm waiting to see. Amen? Got some friends. Got some people. Last you and Ginger come ahead.